0: Well, good morning again. Hey, when I was a kid, uh, TV was different than it is now. And one of the things that made it different is that there was no on-demand. In fact, when I was little, they didn't have VCRs, they didn't have DVDs or any of those types of things. So if you wanted to watch a movie and that movie was going to be on TV, you had to be in front of your TV, right time, right day, ready to go. Well, there were some movies that would come on once a year. And one of those was the Ten Commandments. When I was a kid, I loved that movie. And one of the scenes that I loved the most was the scene where Moses actually got the Ten Commandments. For me, it was epic. Moses is up there on the mountain, and then all of a sudden this pillar of fire appears, and these things that were kind of like comets would come shooting out of this pillar as this voice boomed low, and the music got all dramatic, and and that fire would inscribe onto the stone each of the Ten Commandments as God gave them. Well, if you've been following along with us and joining us here on Sundays uh, or whenever you're streaming this, uh, you know that we've been in the book of Exodus. Today, we come to the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, if you know the book of Exodus, they're not the only commandments that you find in the book. In fact, if you just keep reading from Exodus 20, where we find them, you just keep reading, you're going to find the very next section has all kinds of commandments and about instructions about worship. And then after that, there's, there are instructions and commandments about community life and more. If you continue beyond the book of Exodus, there's even more laws, lots more. In fact, in the Old Testament alone, you're going to find more than 600 commandments. All right, well, then why, out of all those, we highlight these 10 the way we do? Before we take on that question, I do want to say a few words about God and his laws. And the first thing I'd like to say this, if you're taking notes, I invite you to write this down. God is a law giver and a law enforcer. And let me just say this for the record, that is a good thing. In 2 Thessalonians, one of the signs that the end is near is the coming of one who Paul describes as a man of lawlessness. Imagine a world where lawlessness is the norm. That would be a horrible way to live. Recently in our neighborhood, uh, one of the things that's happening that we're getting warned about is that a number of um, our neighbors have had cars stolen. People are driving around at night looking for cars that are in driveways. And not only did they take the car, But if they break into the car and they find your garage door opener, they open your garage, they go and they loot your garage too. It's happening in our neighborhood. Well, things are far worse around the world than that, aren't they? I'm on a number of newsletters, email newsletters, and one of the ones I get uh, almost every week, there's horrific stories of Christians who are being persecuted and killed for their faith. In the book of Revelation, The souls of those who've been killed for their faith, they cry out, how long, O Lord, before those who did this are judged? And what are they told? They're told, rest a little longer because that day is coming. God is both a lawgiver and a law enforcer. And I'd like to say one more thing about God's laws, and I'd like you to write this down too. God's laws, they're protective and they're purposeful. God is good and he is gracious and he is wise. And anytime that God puts a boundary in place or a guardrail in place, it's there for a reason. Okay, so now let's get back to the question that I said we'd wrestle with this morning. And here it is. Why do we highlight the 10 commandments when the Old Testament contains 600 more? Let's press into that this morning. If you have your Bible with you, please turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, verses one through two. Now, in the movie that I referred to, when Moses receives these words that we're about to read, the movie plays, has some artistic liberty there that they, that they take. Because in the movie, Moses is up on the mountain alone. He receives the Ten Commandments in stone tablet form. He comes down and there's this golden calf that the people have made. Well, the golden calf, that actually doesn't come until about 12 chapters later. So one of the reasons I think it's so important for us to actually read the scripture ourselves, for you to follow along, for for you to read this on your own, is because it's so easy to see a movie and think, oh, that's what the Bible is, or listen to a podcast, or whatever the case may be. It's so easy to have people tell us things about the Bible or uh, give impressions about the Bible that aren't actually true. So we want to invite everybody, boy, rereading the scripture yourselves. Because if you do that, you're going to find in chapter 19, the one that comes right before this, God tells Moses, assemble the people. And the word says that the Lord descended on the mountain with smoke and fire, and then the mountain itself trembled. And as uh, that was happening, we come to this part here. So let's go uh, Exodus chapter 21 through two. And God spoke. All these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Okay, why do we highlight these Ten Commandments? There are a number of reasons, but some of the reasons we highlight it is because, if I'm reading this correctly, the Bible itself highlights these Ten Commandments. In fact, one of the ways we we see that happening is God chose to speak these commandments directly to the people. And that's not all. These 10 are later written in stone. These 10 are placed in the Ark of the Covenant. And Moses recited these 10 to the next generation right before they were about to enter the promised land. You can look it up, Deuteronomy chapter five. Well, that's not all either. Here's a quote that I came across that really sums up um, some of what makes this, uh, these 10 commandments worth highlighting. Uh, I came across this quote as I was uh, doing my research this week. The quote says, the Decalogue is no mere list of laws given in the abstract. It is given by God to a people that he has just redeemed. These laws are more than simply good rules to live by. We see them not simply as what we must do, but what does it say? What God is like. Jewish rabbis, they've noted that these commandments, they're like God's second act of creation. They saw the context of the 10 commandments, not just as Exodus 20 in context with 19 and 21. They saw the 10 commandments in context of Genesis 1 through Exodus 20 and beyond. And when you do that, they said the, there are these, the, it's like it's a second act of creation. In the beginning, God created a world And when he created a world, he brought order from disorder. Well, at the foot of Mount Sinai, God created a people by revealing right from wrong. Well, these 10 commandments, they give us a clearer picture of what it looks like for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right, in verse three, now we come to commandment number one. And verse three is this, commandment number one, you shall have no other gods, Before me, no other gods before me. All right, these ten commandments begin with a command to have no other god before the god who had chosen them as his own and delivered them by his mighty hand. Now, this command can be confusing in English because of translation stuff. The phrase "no other gods before me" does not mean, "Hey, you can have other gods just as long as none of them are higher than God." What it means is. You shall have no other gods, period. As in, I don't want to see any gods before me in my presence. The Israelites had a whole lot to unlearn. Most of the nations in those days, they had multiple gods. And that certainly was the case in Egypt where they just come from. God didn't want his people to see him as the highest ranking of these gods. Rather, he wanted them to know that he alone He alone is the true God. Okay, that's the first commandment. Let's look at the second commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verses four through six. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Remember that, third and fourth generation. Of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands, remember that, of those who love me and keep my commandments. All right, let's talk about this section. Again, the Israelites had a whole lot to unlearn. The gods of Egypt, like many of the nations surrounding them, they worshiped God's, that were associated with creative, created things. For instance, you would have a sun god. And then they would make statues of them and worship them and be devoted to them. Now, it's pretty easy to wrap your mind around why that makes sense, that God would say, hey, don't do that. But what about that part where God says he's going to punish subsequent generations? What is going on with that? As someone who lives like you do at a very different time in a very different culture, that can trip us up, right? Well, I did my prep this week. And when I did, a number of my sources reminded me that the Hebrew culture was a communal culture. It was a community that was built around families being accountable to one another. What God does then is really an extension of grace, How many generations are alive at any given time? Three to four, right? God puts limits on the consequences of disobedience to the three to four generations that are living and sinning at any given time. But what does God do? God shows his unrelenting love to Thousands of generations of those who love Him and keep His commandments. Wouldn't you love to pass along that legacy? Makes a lot more sense why the Bible says, "As for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord." All right, let's move on to the third commandment. Uh, It is this in verse seven: You shall not take the Lord, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Okay, what does this mean? If you grew up Lutheran, some of you might remember Luther's small catechism. And I really think he does a good job of concisely summarizing this commandment. Here's what Martin Luther had to say about this commandment. We are to fear and love God so that we do not use his name superstitiously or use it to curse, swear, lie, or deceive but to call on him in prayer, praise, and thanksgiving. Well, we should never use, we should never use God's name in a manner that dishonors him and misrepresents him. All right, let's move on to verse eight, commandment number four. Uh, Actually, we're gonna go verses eight through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it, you shall do no You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Let's talk about this. The word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word for Hebrew verb for rest. And it sounds like the Hebrew word for seven. And in the ancient Near East, I don't know of any parallel to a law like this one. The command, and it's a command, the command to take a day of rest and to make sure that your servants, your animals, the immigrants and refugees within your land, to make sure that all of them are able to have rest as well, Some have called that the greatest worker protection act in history. All right, let's move on to verse 12, commandment five. It says this, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord, your God is giving you. All right. It is easy to forget the context here. Confession time. Confession time. When I think of this verse, I often think of something that I can use to preach to my kids. Hey, kids. What does it say? Honor your father and mother. What's the context? The context is the people of God were called to assemble before this mountain. And as God descended on this mountain and gave his word, who was the primary audience? It were the adults. Think about the context there. Parents often preach this commandment to their kids. What should they first and foremost be doing? What should we first and foremost be doing? We should be modeling it by how we honor our parents. They should be able to see that. God's intent was for the next generation to learn this commandment by watching how we honor and care for our parents. I got to call my mom more. I think I'm hearing an amen from Hastings right now. Well, before I move on, it's, imper- it's also worth noting that the Bible stands apart from other ancient legal codes with this command too. Many of the surrounding nations, they only required people to honor their fathers. What instructions does God give? He says, honor your father and your mother. All right, commandments 6, 7, and 8, they come in rapid succession. Verses 13 to 15, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. Let's talk about Murder. We don't have an English word that perfectly fits that commandment, commandment number six. The command not to murder in English is a little too specific. The command not to kill is far too general. Sometimes you're going to hear people say things like this. They'll say, hey, the Bible says thou shalt not kill, and then they'll use that command to support their beliefs about pacifism, capital punishment, not eating meat. Now, you can make a case for those things, but to use this verse to support your thoughts is are taking this particular verse out of context. For example, the verb used here, for translated as, as murder in this case, is never used in the Old Testament when it comes to war. There are also several instances where God prescribes the death penalty for specific violations of his law. And God also gave specific instructions about which animals were and weren't okay to eat. The main point here is that life is sacred. All of it. And in this fall, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to devote an entire series to this. We're going to talk about the sanctity, the sacredness of life. And we're going to talk about these wonderful things like adoption and and, um, fostering and how this concept of the sacredness of life affects so many other things. All right. Verse 14, we read it already. That is the one that forbids people from committing adultery. And this was fascinating to look at From a historical perspective, I had never done that before, meaning I'd never looked at what were the the surrounding nations um, teaching and and codifying when it came to adultery. In the surrounding nations, Egypt, Canaan, Canaan, Mesopotamia, in these nations that were not known for their outstanding moral codes, adultery was considered the, quote, great sin. There was a common understanding, even among these warring factions that had very different ethical codes, there was a common understanding that the protection of the family unit was foundational to the health of society. And in the centuries that followed, God revealed specifically for his people that marriage as he designed it was meant to provide insights into the relationship between God and his people. All right, verse 15, which we read, forbids people from stealing from one another. So if you are one of the knuckleheads who's been stealing my neighbor's cars, knock it off. God says so. All right, let's turn to verse 16. Verse 16 is where we find commandment 9. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. God is a truth teller and he instructs his people to do the same. Okay, there's one more commandment, and as at least commandment as we call them, or one more word as the Bible refers to them, and it's a little different than the others. Verse 17 says this, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, nor shall you covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, in many ways, this covenant, this commandment, In many ways, this commandment is an extension of the four that come before it. When we allow our hearts to covet, which means to harbor an unhealthy, destructive desire to possess something that isn't yours, when we do that, when we allow a passing, coveting thought to take root in our hearts, what can that lead to? It can lead to bearing false witness. It can lead to stealing, adultery, even murder. All right. Well, those are the Ten Commandments. We did it. We just read through all of them, or again, the ten words as it's, they're described in Hebrew. Some denominations may number them differently, but what we just read is the section that contains them all. And now that you've read them for yourselves, here's something that I would love for you to imagine with me. You might want to write this down. Imagine a world where more people obeyed the Ten Commandments. Can you imagine that? Imagine a world where people sincerely set out to know and honor their creator. Rather than just go with a religion that's trendy, rather than just go with a religion that you were brought up with, what if people sincerely went to seek out the God who created this world and learn what it means to serve and honor him? What if more people were very, 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 very careful not to misrepresent that God, not to say that He says things that He doesn't say, or take His word out of context, or to use His name in trivial or manipulative ways. What if? What if more people modeled healthier rhythms of work and rest? What if more and more of God's people modeled honoring our fathers and mothers for the generation that came after them? What if more of more people, and let me specifically say, what if more of God's people treated all life as sacred? What if we spoke with one voice on that, and we actually lived as though each person bears the image of God? What if more and more Christians were known for their faithfulness in marriage and their celibacy and singleness? What if our reputation as believers was beyond reproach when it came to financial integrity and truth-telling? And what if people saw a contentment in us when it comes to possessions that they don't see in others? If more of us followed the Ten Commandments more closely, would the world be a better place? Yes. If more of us followed these 10 commandments more closely, would people have a better understanding of what God is like? Yes. Well, Jesus was the master teacher. And one of the things that Jesus did was he could take things that were big and he could take things that were complicated and then he could summarize them into simple, concise statements. And what did he do with those 600-plus commandments that we find in the Old Testament? He summarized all 600-plus into two. What are they? Love God and love others. Okay, why are these Ten Commandments particularly helpful? If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. The Ten Commandments help us see what loving God and loving others looks like in color. Consider what we just read. What do the first four commandments do? They help us understand what it means to love God. What does that look like? What do the next six commandments do? They help us understand what loving our neighbors looks like. Well, the Ten Commandments, they help us better understand what it looks like for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And one of the reasons, one of the many reasons, why we always bring almost every one of our teachings back to Jesus is this. The gospel helps us to see what loving God and loving others looks like in 8K ultra-high definition. The gospel is the story of Jesus. It's the good news of God who in the fullness of time sent his one and only son to lead us home. And Jesus helps us, Jesus helps us understand what it means to honor God and the true nature of family and to observe the Sabbath, how we do that correctly. And that adultery and murder, they really begin in the heart. And he teaches us so much more. He takes us even to a much deeper level than the 10 commandments of what it means and looks like to love God and love others. Is God a lawgiver and law enforcer? Yes. What did Jesus say about love and commandment keeping? Here's an example. If you love me, John 14, 15, you will keep my commandments. And here's the problem with that. Raise your hand. All right. Truth time, Sam. It's you and me in this room, <laughs> right? Raise your hand if you've ever broken any of the commandments. We all have. We all have. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I came across this quote when I was working on this message and I agree with it wholeheartedly. This one's worth looking at several times. When we plumb our hearts, we discover that we're fugitives from the law. We all have our stuff, don't we? We all do. We all have areas where we fall short. We all have areas where we struggle. And if we're honest, we all have areas where we rebel against God's good and gracious laws. But what else do we have? We have a good and gracious God who offers to take our guilt and our shame away. I cannot wait for next week because I had something happen that I never noticed before. It has been a long time since I've read Exodus from start to finish And I hadn't really ever done that where I read Exodus start to finish, where I really focused on the Ten Commandments, and then I was going to really focus on what came after it. Well, what comes after the Ten Commandments are all these instructions about the tabernacle, and it's really detailed. And confession time, in the past, I've read that, and I'm kind of like, why are all these instructions in the Bible, and my eyes gloss over, and it's hard for me to focus? It clicked. Finally, it clicked why those two are back to back. Oh, I don't see why I've never made that connection before. Those instructions for that tabernacle coming right after the Ten Commandments, that is the perfect place for those instructions because the tabernacle was designed by God to reveal how commandment keepers like commandment breakers, how commandment breakers like you and me can be restored. That's what the tabernacle shows us. And then in the fullness of time, we see that the tabernacle ultimately points to Christ. I can't wait to unpack that with you next week. I hope you can join us. God bless you.